You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. Today, you'll hear an episode from our Takeover Tuesday series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme. Here we go. Sangam here. Welcome to another episode of Flip My Funnel Podcast. If you've been listening to the Tuesday episodes, this is our Takeover Tuesday by someone amazing. So this time, it's going to be my good friend, Dave Lewis. He's already in two episodes. He's the CEO and founder of Demand Gen. He's written a book, his second book, Agents of Change. I can't wait for that to come out. Also runs a popular podcast. You guys got to check out as you listen to him and follow him. The whole series is all about CMO insights. And he has interviewed Jen. I mean, he, he has interviewed a couple of amazing CMOs from beginning, somebody's like first job as a CMO or first time thinking about it as a CMO to someone who has been incredibly, incredibly successful. So Dave, I cannot thank you enough for just bringing this brilliant people to the Flip My Phone podcast. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. You know, when you reached out to me towards the end of the year and you said, hey, Dave, would you be interested in doing several episodes on the Flip My Funnel podcast? I originally thought you were thinking as a guest. And when you said, no, I want you to host it and bring some of your contacts onto the program, I'm like, I'm all in. Absolutely. So it's cool that I can't believe we're already on episode number three. Awesome. So you had already interviewed two. And, you know, again, the first time when you had interviewed Jen, it was all about like the CMO role and the tech stack and what it takes to be with Gene. Um, you had Gene talk about the whole customer experience. Who do you have now that's going to blow our socks out? Well, on this program is Ruth Rowan and Ruth is the CMO of Dimension Data. And I bet there's two types of people on this program, people who know Dimension Data and people who don't, <laughs> I'm pretty confident of that. And, you know, with with Dimension Data, they, these guys are a multinational, multi-billion dollar company. And so what I thought would be really cool is to bring someone onto the program that would share what it's like to be an agent of change. You know, the, the title of my new book, because when you're a gigantic company and you're bringing about change, it ain't easy. You know, you're one of the co-founders of Terminus, right? There was no prior Terminus. There was no processes already in place when you got there and the team got there. So you were able to bring about change because everything was new. But in Ruth's environment, Ruth has had to be an agent of change. And that's what this program is all about, how a leader brings about change and gets everyone on board. Well, I can't wait for this, Dave. Let's jump into it. All right, here we go. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Flip My Funnel podcast. This is David Lewis standing in as co-host for this month. And today on the program, I have Ruth Rowan, the Chief Marketing Officer at Dimension Data. And I'm not sure how many of you know Dimension Data or are familiar with what they do. They're certainly in the technology space, but they are a very, very large company, over I think 28,000 employees, somewhere over 8 billion in revenue and a privately held company. And the reason that I wanted to have Ruth on the podcast today is because I know that so many of you in large organizations or even mid-sized organizations struggle with bringing about digital transformation and change in your organization. And Ruth has got some great stories to share with you about all the work that she has done. So let's start off with Ruth. Welcome to the program. Thank you for joining me from London today. Thank you very much, David. Yeah, great to be here. And thank you for the invite. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining me. Before we start talking about Dimension Data and some of the things that you've done over there, in your career, you know, did you always envision a career in marketing growing up? And, and what did that journey look like 
heading to become the global CMO for Dimension Data? Absolutely not is probably the the easiest way to answer that question. I think I am definitely an imposter in the very prestigious group of marketers around around the world. I think probably the best way I would describe my career and I guess my ambitions is I'm very opportunistic. You know, I'm very curious. Um, I love change. I love grabbing opportunities um, when they feel right. I'm quite instinctive and impulsive, but I never planned to have a career in marketing. And probably if you asked me where I would be in 10 years or 20 years time, I really couldn't answer that question. So no, I, I, um, I'm a biologist by academic training. Wow. Um, I started my career in banking. I've been in publishing, kind of fell into marketing and to be honest with you, fell in love with it very quickly. And I think for me, one of the, one of the reasons that I've, I've stayed in love with, with marketing as a, as a discipline is it just allows me to be incredibly curious. You know, and I think one of the things we do so well as a marketing community for the organizations that we work with is we're we're focused on the future and and we're focused on pulling our businesses into the future and making sure they're relevant in the future. And that for me, I think, is where the magic is in in the work we do in marketing. And I think why I've why I've stayed in love with this discipline over the last 20 or so years. I often feel and I don't know if it's because I'm I'm been in it my whole career, but that marketing has gone through as a as a function probably the greatest transformation of, of any role or department inside an organization. Do you share that point of view or you think it's just because we're in it and the world's changing and, and we experience that change so much? Yeah, I, I mean, I think every function is changing. I, and I think just generally the pace of change in the world at the moment is, is accelerating. Um, I think possibly we feel it more in marketing than potentially anywhere else in the business because we're at the edge of the organization that, that faces into our customer or our client. And we all know just from our own lives that um, the world is changing faster than it ever has done before. You know, with the advent of, of digital and the smartphone and data and the cloud and everything else that's changing and, you know, artificial intelligence and the Internet of everything that's being able to connect everything to everything else. Um, it's fundamentally changing the way that we, we, we work and we live and we play and and I think as market, marketers, we're at that, that interface where an organization is relevant to the outside world. And I think that pace of change in the outside world is fundamentally mean, means that we have, to, we have to keep changing as quickly in marketing or slightly faster to stay ahead than other functions. But I think all functions are seeing dramatic change at the moment. Um, it's not just us. And, you know, listening to you and talking about your career path and, and that it wasn't, you know, a, a straight dotted line to marketing and you, you approach the world opportunistically, you clearly embrace change and, and welcome it and, and go exploring for it. How have you, you know, you've been now at, at Dimension Data for almost four years now, and you've brought about, you know, the entire digital transformation effort with your team. How do you approach that as a leader? I mean, how do you bring about, you know, change in the context for that? I was, I was speaking with another client of ours, and he runs marketing operations. And he was talking about someone on his team who's really just rooted, very, very deep rooted, doesn't want to change. And, and he as a leader struggles. The, you know, he's very talented, the, this individual. He's very smart. He's very capable. But our conversation was about how much he struggles getting him to change and embrace change, whether that's different processes or different technologies and just not comfortable with change at all. And, you know, you're, you're with a company that's a massive organization. You've, brought, you've worked with my team to bring about digital transformation across the globe. So how do you, how do, you do that? How do you get everyone to rally uh, behind that, especially in a company of, of that size? Yeah. 
You know, it, it's such a great question, isn't it? And I, I think it has to start with our ability as leaders or my ability as a leader to, to, to paint a picture of the future. And, and sometimes it's really difficult with change, isn't it? Because you don't quite know what the future is going to look like. But being transparent about the problem statement, at least, is really important to help everybody understand and connect to the why of change. Because actually, if you're just telling people, please change, you know, please change the color of socks that you wear in the morning if you've always worn the same socks all your life, or, you know, please change the office that you go to without actually understanding why you need to change. As humans, we generally all resist it unless we're incredibly compliant and we just like to be told what we do, which generally, in my experience, unfortunately, most of the people that, that, that are smart that work in our, our, our companies and certainly the people I work with aren't very good at being told what to do if they don't understand the why. So I think I'd always start there. You know, it's amazing if you can paint a picture of the vision of the future and why you're going in the direction you're going. But sometimes it's not clear what the future needs to look like because you're on a journey to get there. Um, but I think if you can paint and articulate why there is a need to change, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, we Please. have spent the last two to three years rebuilding our website. And, you know, I think anybody that's been through um, a big corporate website trans, uh, transformation project or rebuild project or replatform project knows they are incredibly difficult to, to, to manage. And they, the, the scope of work changes quite a lot. There is creep all over the place. So actually at the start of a web build project, it's actually quite difficult to, to paint a picture of what the website's going to look like at the end, because actually you need to sometimes build it as you go along and there's different inputs from different parts of the business and the business changes as you're building it as well, yes. which doesn't help. So that ability to say, this is where we are and in two years time we're going to be there is, 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 is impossible, I think, with, with big corporate web projects. But actually to articulate why you need to change, and in our instance, it was the platform we were on was actually obsolete or becoming obsolete. The platform was no longer serving the purposes of our needs in, in, in a digital marketing environment, you know, wasn't flexible enough, wasn't enabling us to personalize in the way we needed to, wasn't giving us the analytics that we needed off the back of it, wasn't able to integrate into other marketing platforms to enable us to, to deliver a personalized user experience for our clients and be able to nurture them. So that connection to why we need to change, you know, in this instance, why we needed to, to replatform, rebuild the website, kind of gets everybody an understanding of where the project's starting from. And in that instance, even though we couldn't say, and this is what it's going to look like in the end, you know, the number of regional variations, the number of pages, the way that those pages are organized, we mm -hmm. could actually get everybody aligned at the starting point. So I think that's where I'd always start. Could, you know, Simon Sinek talks about it beautifully, you know, start with why. Yes. And I think, you know, he's, you know, uh, he's, he's still so right in so many of the, the, the projects that we run. Yeah. He's, he's, Put out some new content recently. I'm going to be speaking at a conference that he's going to be speaking at as well. And I look forward to getting to know him better and, and talk with him. And that that whole why, you know, how the brain works. Yeah, I know, I know a little bit from your background that you have a degree in human sciences. And I don't know if, did you study any any neuromarketing or neuroscience in that? Because it's been a passion of mine. I've talked about it a couple times on the podcast, but I want to come back to uh, something that I taught in a workshop. But did uh, was neuroscience uh, part of that uh, academic? It, it was, yes. Actually, I, I did a lot on particularly developmental psychology. So, you know, why why do children do what they do and what do they know at different points of their development and kind of what do we as humans instinctively know that potentially other animals don't? Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes us human is that sense of curiosity and that sense of personality and that need to express ourselves and to communicate. And, you know, that's very much at the core, I think, of, of, of you know, why marketing is so critical. Yeah. yeah. 
So I was doing a workshop and we were talking about lead scoring and and for everyone listening to the program, just to give you some big context, you know, my team at DemandGen has worked with Roost team now for several years and brought about major change, you know, global rollouts of marketing automation systems and integration with CRM, lead scoring, lead nurturing, lead management, massive, massive projects around the alignment of sales and marketing and, you know, going well beyond batch and blast marketing to really what these systems and tools were designed for. And we've taught lots of workshops and, and worked with Ruth, as I said, around the world, different cultures, different, different environments. And one of the workshops that I taught, not one that we did together, but another workshop, I stood in the front of the room and because one of the gals uh, in the audience has said, you know, I'm so tired of hearing that all my leads suck from sales. And yet I'm working on a lead scoring initiative and getting a lot of resistance. How do you approach that? How do you get sales to appreciate what we're working on? And so I, I asked her to come up, you know, she was in the, near the front row and I said, you know, can you walk up? We just met. I said, you know, you seem like, like a nice person. Hopefully you think I'm a nice person. Would you put your hand out? And so she held her arm up and, and put her palm out to me, you know, like a high five. And I took my hand and I did the same and I pushed on her hand. And of course, from, you know, human psychology, what did she do? She, she pushed back. And I said, you know, you seem like a nice person and I, you know, I'm a nice person. I'm pushing your hand. You push back. And I go, can we do something else? And then I, I reached out my hand and put my palm up to grab her hand. I said, would you join me on stage? And I just let her take two steps. And I go, so why did you push back in one way? And why did you come along with me in the other? And I said, one was about going on a journey together. And the other was psychologically me pushing you and you pushed back. And, you know, someone came after the conference, they said, you know, Dave, of the entire session, that's going to stick with me. And I go, yeah, the point is we have to ask sales to go on the journey with us. We have to ask our teams to go on the journey with us. And that's, you know, what you, what you said, Ruth was, you know, paint the art of the possible and talk about the future state and get people excited about getting there as opposed to saying what we're doing is wrong and it's not working. I think that's exactly right. And, and, and generally one of the things I think I observe and, you know, I've been fortunate or unfortunate enough in my career, I'm not sure which, um, to have, you know, lived through and managed through a lot of change. And I think, to be frank, that's definitely the technology industry that I sit in. It's definitely marketing. I think if you don't thrive in change, actually, you know, it's going to be very uncomfortable for, for anyone today. But my observation is actually generally people are smart. You know, the reason that people are in for all of us in the jobs that we're in is because we're curious and we want to learn and we want to do something that makes a difference. And if you take time to explain why change is necessary, I've always found there's no resistance, but actually the resistance comes when you don't take time to explain why change is, is required and to really engage people in shaping the future. You know, and I, I always think, you know, hopefully we're all fairly smart, but you know, a team of smart people can do amazing things. I'm always overwhelmed positively by what multiple minds can achieve together when you're facing transformation or facing difficult change. Um, so my guidance would always be, you know, when there's a, a something you've got to do that is difficult and it involves change, um, get smart people in a room and don't feel you need to know the answer once you get those smart people in the room, but explain where you are and why, why, why change is needed and brainstorm. You know, that's just, it's, I think some of the, the, the best sessions that we ever have when you're brave enough, and certainly for me, you know, as a leader to say, we've got a problem and I don't know what the answer is, but let's try and figure out some options together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm working on a major initiative for next year for the company. And so as our CEO, 
you know, and, and I don't wait always to the beginning of the year, but it just happens timing wise that we're, we're rolling out some exciting new services for our clients. And, you know, when I went to the leadership team and, and go to the organization and tell them we're expanding in these areas, it's, as you said, I, 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 I start with the why, and I start with, you know, what the pain points of our clients are and where this is coming from, because no doubt I'm going to ask my team to learn and master other things that they either as a team have never done before or are going to do differently before. It's, it's exciting, but it's certainly challenging. Let's talk about your change there. So again, been there for several years. How are things going? Are, are things where you wanted them to be now? And, and I guess part two of that is to me, like, what does success look like? How do you, how do you know when you got there? So let's, let's start off with how things are different from when you arrived to, to now and then what success is going to look like? Yeah, well, that's a big question. So let me, let me see if I can break down the answer a little bit. So, I mean, I think, as I said, it feels like change is our constant. So I don't think a de- a, the, the destination of marketing transformation is ever reached. And I think getting comfortable with that, you know, there's never going to be a, an end point where you go, oh, goodness, thankfully, you know, we're finished now. We're now in our final resting state and this is how it's going to be forever. And, and 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 thankfully that's the case because I think we'd all be uncomfortable in a constant state of of, of normality. But in terms of how how things are going, you know, when I you know I've been in Dimension Data as you said for for, for nearly four years. Um, I came on board when the company was very successful. We are privileged to work with some of the world's largest organisations and some of the world's you know not so large organisations, providing uh, technology services for them in many different guises. In, in all industries. And I know there are many, many people that listen to your podcast that, that have a very similar business. Yep. And we had very successful marketing. You know, the, the company was growing, we're profitable. Uh, we had a good loyal client base. We were clear on our brand and our proposition and clear on what, what made us different. So I certainly wasn't inheriting a problem. But I think when I, when I reflect back, certainly the conversations that I had with, you know, through the interview process, and, and, and why I joined, really, it felt that there was a, a job to do because in the technology services industry, there's a lot of convergence at the moment. You know, everybody, whether you're a, a hardware provider, software provider and services, consulting services, everybody's converging on, on the same kind of messages or, or value proposition for clients. And that's very much around, you know, how can companies today leverage the data that's coming into their organizations, be agile in the digital space in terms of the infrastructure that they base their services on to be able to capture information, provide a differentiated client experience for their clients and actually run and operate as effectively and efficiently as possible. Yes. Um, so differentiating who we are as Dimension Data versus some of the other companies in our space that, that also provide similar services was really the, 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 the problem statement, I, I guess, and then bringing that to life in a agile, modern marketing environment of our own. And I think we've made great progress. And I think probably the thing that I'm, I'm proudest of is that we've really simplified things. And it's often the most difficult thing to do, I think, in any organization, particularly a big organization with you know, many countries and regions and multiple different product sets and services and stakeholders and industries and different ways of telling stories, is I think we've really made things simpler. Um, simplified the value proposition, simplified how we think about our clients, simplified the client client experience that we're trying to deliver um, for our clients, simplified how easy it is to do business with us. We've still got a lot of work to do. It's definitely not perfect, 
but also simplified how we go to market, how what the relationship is between marketing and sales, and how ultimately we run our business. And that's not not easy. Um, you know, there's a lot of different programs underpinning that that approach that that have brought that to life. And I think for me, the thing that have really driven that is just the quality of the people that have helped drive that transformation in our in our marketing organization and of course in our wider organization the partners and the and the agencies that that we work with and you know I hope in doing that we've made everybody's role have more purpose um everybody feel like they're making more impact and actually they understand their piece in a in a bigger puzzle in the organization and in the work that we do for our clients love it you um i mean your whole company helps companies with data. I want to talk about data a little bit among other things. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's amazing to see the size and scale of the company and still be a privately held company. And, you know, you guys are a big, I don't even want to say sponsor. I mean, you were so involved in the tour de France and I look at, you know, I'm a, I'm a big drone guy, Ruth, in case you don't know that I love drones. So when, you know, Intel shows <laughs> off their technology and they demonstrate all the drones flying in the sky, whether it's a Super Bowl or what have you, and I was just in New York City, actually, and saw the Rockettes for the you know annual show. And um, they had, you know, I don't know, 50, 100 drones fly out over the audience. It was really cool. And so it's a way to take the invisible and make it visible, you know, how innovative in technology. How did the whole Tour de France involvement, I, I, again, I wanted to call it sponsorship, but it's so much more than that. Was it a way to, to demonstrate the power of data? Because we as marketers, like nobody wakes up in marketing well, certain people do in certain roles, but for the most part, marketing leadership doesn't wake up getting excited about illuminating data and embracing the power of data that we now have in marketing. And your company's part of your purpose, right, is is helping companies with that. So how did the whole Tour de France thing come to be and, and how does it work in terms of supporting the the brand? Yeah, my my one of my favorite topics. And I agree. I really love what Intel are doing with drones. I think it's so cool. I saw something on YouTube. The other day, I think it was at the recent Winter Olympics. So at the work they did with the Intel drone team there was just beautiful. So, you know, I think that's definitely worth a shout out. So Tour de France, we, you're right, we have a partnership, is actually the language we use um, rather than sponsorship, with the, the, the Tour de France. So we're effectively the official technology partner. Uh, we provide technology services, whether that's uh, networking capability, data center, cloud services, cybersecurity services. Unified communication services, et cetera, et cetera, for, for the people that run the Tour de France, as well as some other races, cycling races around the world. So we got involved, really, because they approached us. And they approached us with a problem, which is something we always love, that they were worried that the fan experience for sport was fundamentally changing. You know, I think if we think about how we all watch sport, um, you know, you generally have one eye on a, on a television uh, or you may be sitting at your desk where you don't have one eye on the television, but you're kind of looking at what's going on in that sport, sporting game, whether it's a cycling race or a soccer game or whatever, um, you know, by looking at apps on your mobile phone or potentially following the action on a, on a website. And so much of that with sport is driven by data in sport. And the Tour de France um, organizers very smartly realized that they had very little data connected to the race. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, we're potentially in danger of losing losing their fan base. And particularly with, you know, millennials, we all talk about millennials a lot, and coming on board with a very different way of uh, behavior, of engaging with content. They really had woken up to the fact that it was time that the Tour de France cycling race was digitized. And they wanted to uh, have work with a partner that could help them do that. 
So that was kind of the problem statement that they brought to us. Now, cycling is probably one of the, the, the last sports, and certainly the Tour de France is probably the last greatest sporting event annually to digitize. You know, there's plenty of sports around the world that had digitized much earlier with plenty of data coming off players or athletes um, already. And, and cycling was, was very late to digitize and certainly this, this race. And, and I think really there was one main blocker that was stopping, stopping this race being relevant in the digital age. And that was, whereas the 3,000 or so kilometers that make up the, the cycling route of the Tour de France, you know, these brave athletes and, and cyclists every year set off on about a 3,000 kilometer race every July. Yeah. Um, it's the most beautiful countryside in Europe. But unfortunately, it's not the most connected countryside in Europe. And not even is there no Wi-Fi, there's often in many places no mobile phone reception. Right. Yeah. Um, so the ability for this race to digitize, to get data from the bikes to talk about the race, was actually being held back by the lack of connectivity. And so I, I love to say this because it makes it sound so simple. And I, I really don't think it was. And I don't in any mean, way mean to undermine my, my colleagues that have been delivering the, techni- the technical, um, technical capability here. but you know, really we solved the networking problem, which is how do you get data off the bikes in real time so that you can understand where every rider is at any point, how fast they're going, what kind of gradient they're on. Um, so you can start to tell stories about um, what's going on in the race so that wherever in the world you are and whatever device you're on, you can understand um, what's happening. And if you're a fan of Chris Froome or Mark Cavendish um, or a, a rider that's local to your country, you can actually follow that rider versus everyone. And that's essentially what we've been doing for the Tour de France for the last four years. Um, and for us, the, the, the decision to get involved was actually very simple. You know, there was a technology problem to solve. The technology problem in solving it actually brought to life all of the core value propositions that we deliver to clients, whether they're cycling race owners or banks or retailers or manufacturers. And hence, we just had the opportunity to tell a story. We had great content. And because of that, it gave us an opportunity to engage in a very different way um, around the world. It's impressive. It's a, it's a, you know, the, the scale of that is, is enormous. You know, when, when, uh, when we did it the very first time with you, as, as you probably remember, you know, my team during our, our client review cycles, they said, okay, so we've got this major project coming up with uh, Dimension Data and we're going to be doing all their daily campaigns, all their daily emails around the event. And I said, you know, what, what's the nature of the campaigns? And I was surprised that how many of them were also to your employee base, you know, that they weren't just outbound marketing initiatives and communication, but keeping the employee base up to date with what was going on, that type of stuff. So, you know, for those of us that put on like major conferences every year, they can be a huge drain on marketing, right? So much is consumed and it, it can pull you away from the demand generation activities that you're doing, especially if you have a small marketing team. And the commitment that that your whole marketing team has to, you know, making sure that event is successful is really, it's impressive and that you guys do it, do it well. I got a couple more questions for you. If you got a few more minutes, I, I wanted to ask a question, Ruth, how do you think marketing is perceived today versus how it was in the past? And I, and I mean, there at Dimension Data uh, more than externally. Question. And, you know, I, I think I can answer it by saying how I hope it's perceived, but um, I'm probably not the best person to ask. It's probably some of my colleagues. I mean, I think marketing generally, particularly in the business to business space, has undergone a, a, a dramatic transformation, not just in how we're perceived, but I think also what, what we do. You know, and, and I think that the days are definitely long gone. And I think gone decades ago where marketing essentially produced pretty slides and great events and umbrellas and something you know, et cetera, et cetera. Although somebody did say to me today, you know, marketing will produce the mugs, which 
I, I don't know. I, I laughed at rather than getting angry at, but but never mind. Um, you know, I, I think the perception of where we add value has fundamentally changed. And I think a lot of is not just driven by our ability to be the voice of the client or the voice of the customer in the organization with the insight and the intelligence that we have around our client behavior. Um, but I think increasingly we've, we're earning the right or we've earned the right to, to be the steward or the owner of the client experience end to end. And certainly in our organization, and I think it's the case for, for most organizations, client experience isn't owned in one department. And, you know, I'd also broaden client experience also to employee experience, because increasingly for all of us, um, the differentiation for our companies is around the employees and the colleagues that we have. So I, I, I think now there's an acceptance that, that marketing is the, the steward or the owner of the end-to-end client experience or employee experience, but that we are working closely with and dependent on colleagues from around the business to, to drive that. Uh, and to, to make sure that we're constantly improving that. We're focused on the areas that we can make the most improvements and that we are calling out and emphasizing our points of differentiation around the areas that, that, that we're strongest in. And I think a lot of that is, is underpinned by the fact that we now are so data rich and hopefully also insight rich because of the technologies and the platforms that we use to understand what's going on in our businesses and to understand how our client and employee behavior is changing. Uh, and I'll give you an example. You know, we are now able to understand kind of client behavior across our digital platforms, you know, whether it's our website or the other digital assets that we have, social media, um, our marketing automation, email platforms, for example. So we're able to see, you know, at any one time, are we seeing a surge in interest from a particular client account in a particular country into a certain part of our website? For example, it might be around cybersecurity. And hence, can we very quickly add value to our our sales team or our client-facing people in in that country for that client to say, hey, you know what, there may not be an RFP issued yet, or the client may not have even picked up the phone, but we can see that, you know, client from retailer A is suddenly, you know, 10 people in the last week have been looking at the cybersecurity pages on our website. We think potentially there's there's an opportunity to to make a quick phone call and make sure that we're we're ahead of the curve um, in what what we're doing. And I think that changed the perception of what we do and, and and how we add value to the business. Love it. On a personal note, I just want to say that that you have inspired me. When we first talked a couple of weeks ago before the podcast and I jumped on your LinkedIn profile, I saw the article you wrote about the trip that you took to Cambodia this year. And it sounds like you've done that a number of times. And as the holidays were coming, Ruth, I was thinking to myself, you know, I work so hard <laughs> and I love what I do and I am with the family and I'm all in with the family. But I really feel like when I read that, I'm like, you know what, I, I, I need to do something like that. And how did that come about? Like how, how many years have you been doing that trip and going and building homes there? Yes. Thank you. I mean, thank you for reading it. Sometimes you write these blogs um, or I write these blogs and I think I, I never know if they are value to anyone or, or interesting. So thank you for, for reading it. In fact, before you answer, I just say, you know, it's funny how like little things stick out. You make a reference to Preda Manger and I love Preda Manger. Like my wife always gives me a hard time when we're driving down the street. We don't have them really very much in California and I'll see him in New York or somewhere and she go, oh, look, it's your favorite. And I like it. And you, you made a, I think it was a reference about, you know, everything, you know, complaining about their salads and that type of stuff. And here you are in this, this third world country and, you know, uh, yeah. children are struggling. Anyway, sorry, yeah. let me let you continue. Yeah. Like, how did that come about? Because I got to go do something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that was a blog about why I volunteer. And actually, it's a, the, the, the Tabitha Foundation is a, a, a small charity that's based in Cambodia that I've been working with 
this is the eighth year that that my husband and I volunteered um, with them. Um, and it really came about from my previous role. We were looking for a um, a relevant charity in the Asia Pac region where I used to live um, that we, we could as, uh, align to as a as a corporate. We we worked with the Tabitha Foundation. And we were really looking for something that not only felt like it was needed and added value, but also that you could engage people in terms of volunteering activities. So raising money, but also volunteering and getting involved. And, you know, personally, I absolutely love Cambodia. There's something in my heart that's connected to that that country. I love the people. I love the food. The um, scenery is beautiful. It's just a wonderful, wonderful country. And obviously one of Asia's poorest countries and one of the world's poorest countries. And, and this sense of privilege that that we have in the roles that we do and the jobs that we have and, and the relative wealth that we have, it, it's incredibly grounding for me. It always helps give me perspective. You know, sometimes we get wound up about, you know, something that's happened at work or, you know, budget that we've not got or um, a campaign that's not gone very well or somebody that's not doing what you want them to do and probably not explained why you want them to do it to our earlier conversation. Or, you know, maybe you haven't got the job that you wanted or the project ownership that you wanted, whatever. And it always brings me back to this this sense of perspective, you know, the consequence of where we've been born, the education that we've had access to, the access to healthcare that we've had through our lives, the ability to have climbed so far up that hierarchy of needs that Maslow talks about. Right. It, it just, you know, you go into the environment where, you know, in this instance, the volunteering work that I do in Cambodia, you know, there's often no running water, or no running water, no electricity. You know, there's very few people that, that live above the age of 50. And their mortality rate is still, still very high and in, in infant mortality rates are still very high. One in five children still dying before the age of five. Wow. It just gives you context of just how lucky we are. And so, you know, when you're arguing with a colleague about a certain program campaign, or as we've just discussed about, you know, the perception of marketing by the sales team, it, it just makes it all, it puts it all in context for me and, just makes me incredibly lucky for the things that we often really take for granted. Um, and I think that's important. You know, perspective is really important in life and very grounding and very humbling. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you another example. You yeah. know, through the work that we do in cycling with the Tour de France and also with the team, we work at Dimension Data with a charity called Quebecer. Quebecer actually provides bicycles to a lot of school kids to help them go to school, but also people that work in the communities, you know, health workers and uh, entrepreneurs to just help them help make their lives a little easier. And I was at a Quebecer bike handover ceremony a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. in a slum just outside of Cape Town. Two and a half million people living in the slum. It has the highest murder rate of anywhere in the world. It's wow. quite an intimidating place to go. But actually the people that we met there that were involved in the handover were some of the warmest, nicest, happiest people I've met. And again, that gives context of, you know, where you see kids that are so happy, you know, they are playing football with a potato. Um <laughs> You know, they, they, they're not aware of what they don't have. They're just focused on what they do have. Sometimes I find it very challenging. You know, sometimes we, we make ourselves unhappy with wealth. And again, it's just context of being grateful for what you've got. Definitely a great message. And, and thank you for inspiring me. I just want to say while I have you before we wrap up, thank you so much for bringing my team into your team and over the past several years working together. I know that Tom Sveck and the rest of the crew really enjoys the engagement. It's all about the people, you know, the projects you you don't, you know, over time, you don't necessarily remember the projects and the details and, and all the little elements, but you do remember the experience and you do remember the people and, and they are always commenting how they feel such a great extension of, of your team. So thank you for that. It's been fun. Great. And thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been great to chat. 
Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it. Look forward to connecting with all of you on the next episode. Take care. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.